Greetings, beautiful people, and welcome back to the Revival's Holy Week devotional series. For today's reading and teaching, we will be in the book of John, chapter 18, verse 28, through chapter 19, verse 16. As a reminder, this week's readings are from the Christian Standard Bible, the CSV translation. Receive the word of God on this day. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Pilate told them, you take him and judge him according to your law. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, indicating what kind of death he was going to die. Then Pilate went back to the headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you asking this on your own or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priest handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I am a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this and I have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is true, said Pilate. After he said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. Chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and clothed him in a purple robe. And they kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping his face. Pilate went outside again and said to him, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Pilate responded, take him and crucify him yourself since I find no grounds for charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied to him, that according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? 
Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given to you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. From that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him, but the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, but in Aramaic, Gabbatha. It was the preparation day for the Passover, and it was about noon. When he told the Jews here, then he told the Jews, here is your king. They shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Then he handed him over to be crucified. Today is Good Friday, and we're going to talk about the conspiracy to kill Jesus. Chapters 18 and 19 of John chronicle the betrayal, trial, crucifixion, death, and burial of Jesus. I encourage you to read them both in their entirety today, especially on this day where we remember the death our Savior endured, a death he did not deserve to die. As I read these chapters, I realize that in this season of my life, what struck me the most was not so much that Jesus died for our sins. No, I've heard that refrain time and time again, and it's not lost on me, and I do not count it as insignificant. But something new struck me in this text that, frankly, makes me so incredibly angry. What struck me is a phrase that my pastor has said numerous times in church, and that while Jesus died for our sins, he was also killed for something else. And that something else is going to be our focus today. We enter this segment of the Good Friday story after Judas betrays Jesus early in the morning. Jesus is arrested by Jewish officials, taken into custody and brought to the high priest's home, who had already made up in his mind after the resurrection of Lazarus in John 11, that it was better for Jesus to die in order to preserve the Jewish nation from possible destruction by Rome. In his mind, Jesus was a threat to the religious and political order. His teachings and miracles threatened their leadership. If Jesus were to continue recruiting followers to his camp, the Pharisees would lose their power and leverage over the people. As such, they were consumed with a lust for power and a desire to overthrow Jesus at all costs. In this portion of today's teaching, we first focus on the corruption of the Jews. When the Jews bring Jesus to Pontius Pilate, governor of the Roman Empire, who currently occupies Jewish territory, 
This exemplifies just how far they will go to kill Jesus. Why would you take a Jew to a Roman leader in hopes they will execute him? As noted, the Jewish law did not offer a recourse for the murder of Jesus. They could not charge him with any infractions against the law because Jesus never violated the law. Even the times where he healed and conducted miracles on the Sabbath, that wasn't enough. So they went to their adversary instead, hoping to strike an alliance based on the unjust laws of Rome that also kept them in bondage. Isn't that crazy? Throughout their exchange with Pilate in both chapters, the Jewish chief priests become increasingly cunning in their ability to charge Jesus with a crime he did not commit. They denied Jesus' freedom when offered and instead free the insurrectionist Barabbas. They rile up the crowds with chance to crucify. Eventually, they even lie to Pilate and say that suddenly there's a Jewish law that Jesus violated, claiming that he is the son of God. That would surely be enough to sentence him to death. But what is most egregious and horrid from the Jewish leaders is their loud and bold proclamation that their allegiance is in the Roman king Caesar above the king of kings. They would rather deny their allegiance to the one true God in order to cut down the son of God. They would rather align fully with a corrupt ruler than hold fast to a righteous one. They exchange their allegiance for God in search of blood. What's fascinating about the events of Jesus' unjust trial and sentencing is that it involves an intergovernmental relationship, if you will. There are two nations responsible here, including the Roman Empire, most exemplified by the presence of Pontius Pilate. Here is a Roman leader thrust into conflict within the Jewish community while overseeing the Passover festivities. Known as a ruthless figure, he does not hold the Jews in high regard. He is actually quite cruel to them. But as we see in the story, Pilate becomes increasingly distressed as he navigates this unjust persecution of Jesus. And yet, even with his power, he cannot save him. In this portion of the teaching, we will now focus on the cowardice of Pilate. Pilate is very perplexed when the Jews bring him Jesus. Red flags come up immediately at the fact that the Jews had no means to charge him upon their customs. What is he supposed to do with this man? So he questioned Jesus, hoping to get some clarity on the offense, and it seems like he just gets more confused. Is Jesus claiming to be king of the Jews? Why is he talking about truth? What is truth? While he may think Jesus may be a little strange <laughs> and maybe his spirit is encountering something unfamiliar, he certainly does not think he's a criminal. Not once, not twice, but three times throughout this text, does Pilate confess that he has no grounds for charging Jesus. And somehow this is not enough to save Jesus. Well, then he thinks, well, maybe the Jews will be subdued by us being him. And there's nothing low about this. 
Jesus endures a gruesome and horrifying and humiliating battle of public abuse at the hands of Pilate and hopes that others will leave him be so that he can ultimately release Jesus. This is not an act of diplomacy. This is not even humane. And it certainly doesn't follow Roman law. Being and flogging were reserved only for those who were condemned to death. But at this point, Jesus has not yet been charged. And also, if Pilate is known to be a ruthless leader, has his reputation not preceded him? When he tells the Jews, I'm not going to charge him, why wasn't that enough? Why didn't they listen to him the first time? All of these things um, are really demoting to me, just confusing. But what we start to see in the text is slowly, Pilate's cowardice begins to emerge. As the being of Jesus seems to only fuel the Jewish leaders to further push for his execution. And now it looks like they are fabricating offenses against Jesus. It's becoming clear to Pilate the depths these leaders are willing to go. And maybe they might even overthrow him. This fear is not seeded in the fact that Jesus will likely die. I don't know if Pilate cared that much. Now, Pilate is now afraid of his own life. And a powerful man that is deeply afraid is one of the most dangerous combinations one can experience. Pilate has a choice here. Save an innocent man or sacrifice him to appease this angry and bloodthirsty multitude. I don't know about you, but this sounds like the breeding ground for a lynching. I highly encourage you after this week to pick up the cross and the lynching tree by James Cone. Known as the progenitor of Black liberation theology, Dr. Cone wrote this book to articulate the theological, social, and political interplays of Jesus' death on the cross and the countless deaths Black people have experienced via lynching in this country. The similarities are harrowing. And through his theological analysis, he asserts that without fully understanding this relationship, we could never fully understand the depths of the suffering Black people have endured on a spiritual level, but also the degrees of victory over the cross that Jesus has displayed. This is an innocent man, publicly accused for a crime he did not commit, and beaten, brutalized, and killed as a public spectacle. I really want you to read this book when you can, or you can grab it on audiobook. It's a really quick listen, but it helps us to fully understand what all Jesus has endured in this moment and also how that shameful legacy has persisted even into our world today. Coming back into the story, the powerlessness of Pilate increases in this moment, to the point that he is pleading to Jesus for something to help him free Jesus. But by now, Jesus knows that he does not have that power. So Pilate does something shocking. 
he rests himself in the judge's seat, a seat he is not qualified to occupy, a seat he does not have the character or leadership to fulfill, a seat in which his decisions will alter the course of human history. In some strange way, I think Pilate knew a little bit about who Jesus was. He may not have thought he was a Messiah, but I think he knew something different was about him. But he still cannot do anything for him but to send him to his death. No one will hear anything else but crucify. So succumbing to the pressure, he hands Jesus over. This collision of political corruption and cowardice end up as the catalyst for Christ's crucifixion. We must sit with this reality as we reflect on what our Savior endured for us. While we know Jesus came to atone for our sins, that should not eclipse the conditions of his murder. Jesus was a political prisoner, unjustly accused of crimes he did not commit based on laws that did not even exist. What does it mean for us to identify with a savior that is a political prisoner? As one falsely accused. As one innocent but assumed guilty. How do we approach our criminal legal systems with this perspective? In what ways does this challenge us to question and come to these spaces with a healthy level of suspicion? How does it challenge us to question upon whose authority do we really stand on? And how does this shift our relationships to our neighbors with similar plight? We must keep questioning the way we tell these stories. As my soror Zora Neale Hurston once said, if you are silent about your pain, they'll kill you and say you enjoyed it. I thank God that we have testimonies of Jesus's murder that show the full scope of how unjust it was. That just because his words may not have necessarily signaled him trying to fight for his life, it does not mean it was not unjust. We see all the ways that people went to great lengths to kill Jesus. The scriptures depict him as someone who did not enjoy it and certainly did not romanticize it. And we should not either. Jesus died for our sins. And he was also murdered in a conspiracy by the state. Let us pray. Good and righteous God, we grieve over the way our Savior died. We are angered at the ways political and religious leaders manipulate power to cast out what is good and righteous and holy. And we will no longer be silent about corruption when we see it. We will be compelled by your spirit to pursue justice at all costs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.